All right. And, um, you know, earlier this week, I was reading an article, uh, it was in Sports Illustrated, about Sam Bradford, who is um, starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. And Sam Bradford was being interviewed by this reporter. The reporter was describing how when they met Sam Bradford, he was, you know, dressed up in his suit as he came to the ballpark. You know, uh, ball players oftentimes go to the ballpark in a suit. And, uh, you know, reporter was coming, commenting on how he was looking really good in the suit. Uh, suit looked really good, but there was one fashion faux pas that he had, and that was that he wasn't wearing any socks with the suit. So he asked Sam Bradford about this, and Sam Bradford told him, well, it's, it's a superstition that goes back to, it's my one superstition I practice. It goes back to when I uh, played football in high school, and I've been doing it ever since, coming to the ballpark in uh, uh, you know, suit without socks. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of this thing that, that I do. Uh, it's my ritual. It's what I go through all the time. And uh, now Sam Bradford, you know, with using this as a ritual or a, or a, a superstition to kind of follow and practice is, is maybe an example of the weirdness of sports, you know, that, that people practice these weird things in sports and believe in these weird things in sports. Um, now, in Sam Bradford's case, he might want to think about something else, you know, to follow because uh, he, even though he was the number one draft pick the year that he was drafted and uh, that first year uh, he had a successful year, he was named the Offensive Player of the Year. But ever since then, he's had trouble. He's been injured really pretty much every year, and he's come to be known as Hard Luck Bradford, you know, because of being injured. He's on his third team. You know, he might want to find something else. But, it's, you know, he's not alone in this. I mean, there's all kinds of athletes who uh, have practice superstitious kinds of things and do certain things in that regard. Like, say, a couple of years ago, the Boston Red Sox. Remember, uh, you know, the fear of the beard and all that? Where they decided that um, the players on the Boston Red Sox decided that they were not going to shave anymore uh, for the duration of the summer. They wound up looking like, you know, these hillbillies from the 1800s or something out there playing baseball. Uh, so that they could invest in their winning streak by not shaving. Now, any you know, thinking person would look at this and say, come on, it's ridiculous to think that not shaving or not wearing socks is actually going to improve your game. So why do these guys do it? Well, it could be either just one of those weird quirks of sports. You know, it could maybe help them to focus, or maybe it could be an offering to the gods of fate. You know? Now, in the, in the uh, olden days, Old Testament times, New Testament times as well, there were all kinds of people who would give sacrifices to their gods, whatever they were. And these gods that they would sacrifice to were normally very violent gods, thought of as very jealous gods, very uh, easily angered kinds of gods, and they didn't want to upset these gods. So what they would do is they would try to do the right things, and they would try to make sure that they would sacrifice the right things to these gods. So they would sacrifice all kinds of things. They would sacrifice cattle. They would sa- sacrifice donkeys. They would sa- sacrifice even their own children to these gods. And, and uh, they were you know, gods that uh, could be described really uh, with... This, these kinds of words uh, that were discovered by archaeologists who discovered this fragment, pottery fragment, uh, of the Canaanites, who were the people that lived in the land of the Promised Land at the same time and before the time of the Israelites. And they're dis- these words describe this goddess of the Canaanites of that land, which gives us a good idea of God, God, gods and goddesses in general of that time. These are the words that describe that goddess. 
says this, she is indulging in a massacre of old and young alike. She smites the people of the seashore, destroys mankind of the sunrise. She piles up heads on her back. She ties up hands in her bundle. Anath, which is the name of the goddess, gluts her liver with laughter. Her heart is filled with joy over her acts. A delightful woman she was. And the people didn't want gods like this to be angry with them, so they sacrificed all these different kinds of things. And whether you look at the, the gods of the Aztecs in Mexico or the gods of Greece, the gods of Mesopotamia, all were representative of the forces that complicate life. They were like the personification of cruel fate. But here's the thing. You can look at all of these gods and goddesses throughout the world, and they all have these kinds of things in common, except one. If you line up all of these people, or all of these people, all of these gods and goddesses that all of these different uh, nation groups are worshiping, all these different people are worshiping, and, and set them over here in this, in this group and compare them to Yahweh, to the Lord, what you're going to find is a radical difference between the two. Because Yahweh, the Lord, is a God who wants relationship with His people. He's a God who wants mercy more than sacrifice. He's a God who, according to Scripture, where it says about Him that He is a forgiving God, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. And rather than having multiple gods, the the Israelites, God's people, believed and worshipped one God. The Lord was one, and His people were called His bride. And they were expected to be faithful to Him like a bride to her husband. Unlike all those other gods, the Lord didn't need His favor to be earned by His people. You already have that. Instead, He just wanted a loving relationship with His people. So we can see in Scripture, we can see in the Bible, we can see in this treasure map, this story unfolding of this God who is wooing His people and His people who continually stiff-arm God people who forgot his very name and his very identity. So we catch up with these people, with Moses, of uh, the Ten Commandments fame. Moses is given his assignment at the burning bush, and God sends Moses to go set his people free. But Moses, first of all, needs to know this one thing. He says to him, who should I tell them sent me? And God responds by saying, I am who I am, which means I I am God. There is no other. I'm the original article. I'm the true thing. All of these others are mere pretenders. The sacrifices that have been offered to all of these others are merely frauds. They are wasted. So God sets forth with Moses how the sacrifices given to God might be different because God is different. And I don't know, you ever read the book of Leviticus? I mean, the book of Leviticus can be tough sledding to try to make it through the the book of Leviticus because it's got all these different laws in it, you know, weird laws in some cases, you know, all these different, you know, and this, this, do this, and that, do that. You know, it's got weird kind of stuff. It's tough for a lot of people to make it through. So today, uh, in keeping with our sermon series now, Simplify, I'm going to try to simplify those for you, okay, by doing this. 
by explaining that all of those laws of sacrifice that you find in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament can be lumped up into two categories, either sacrifices of worship or sacrifices of atonement. And by looking at those, we can see how they they are different, really, and significant for us even today, even though we don't practice those things specifically. They They are significant and different and reveal something about the character of God. And with sacrifice of worship, first of all, what that is is really a a time of thanks to God, giving thanks back to God for what He has done. It's like this, okay? Um, Over the course of, you know, weekend in the fall, um, a lot of us might watch a little bit of football, okay? And if you're watching a football game and um, the running back uh, has a particularly good run and he runs in for a touchdown and uh, you are a fan of his team, what is the response? Yay, yes, okay, cheering, okay? What that is, is you are showing thanks. You are showing appreciation. You are showing worship. Now, it sounds kind of heretical to put it that way, but really, uh, these days, we use the word worship in a religious sense, but it used to be that they would use it in a general sense, kind of like cheering and praise and things like that. Uh, and, and, and so we are showing that kind of appreciation for that, for that running back in that particular case. In the, in the case of, of sacrifices of worship, we're doing the same thing with God. We are cheering. We're saying, job well done. We're saying, uh, we appreciate you, God. And that is worship. In sacrifices of worship, what they did was they specifically would do so with a offering or a sacrifice. So they would take a particular animal, like a sacrifice, all kinds of different things. But let's say that it was a bull, okay, that they would take and they would bring it to the temple. And uh, these priests, you know, would place this on the altar. I'm picturing, man, these priests have got to be, uh, you know, pretty buff, you know, be able to do this kind of a job. But they would, you know, lay this, this bull on the altar. They would take out a knife and they would butcher the animal there and they would have a fire that would consume the animal and it, they would have this smoke that would rise up. Now, picture uh, your backyard barbecue, okay? With my backyard barbecue, much to the dismay of my wife, oftentimes, far too often, I, I wind up knowing that the burgers have to be flipped when I see the smoke, okay? And I've got to go out there and flip these things. But, you know, you're, you're, if you're out for a walk or something in the summertime and uh, you can smell the smell, for example, of... Uh, steak grilling. It's like, oh man, woo! You know, that is great. So here we have that kind of a smell going on with the animal being offered before the Lord, and they call it a fragrant offering to God. It's an offering of thanksgiving. It's an offering of worship. And the animal is thought to be transformed into smoke that rises toward heaven and given as an offering of thanksgiving to God for all that he has done. Now with that, you know, with that, um, what we we have is is an opportunity to give back to God regardless of your economic status. All can do this. All can participate in this. Because there's, you you know, if you are a rich person, you might give a bull or maybe a thousand bulls if you're King Solomon or somebody like that. But if you were poor, you could give simply birds, which were cheap. 
So we can see in the New Testament when Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, were bringing Jesus to the temple to uh, dedicate him there at the temple, to uh, set him before the Lord there at the temple, it says that they gave a sacrifice of doves, which shows that they were very poor. It's for everybody. And people can sacrifice all kinds of different things for this sacrifice of worship, but the one thing, the one thing they must not, not ever sacrifice, the one thing is human beings. They must never do that. That might sound strange to us. Why would anybody do that? Well, in those days, other nations did. And we can see that now as we look back. But you must never do that. Which is why when Abraham was called upon to bring his only son Isaac up on the mountaintop and sacrifice him, we look at that story with particular revulsion. We say, no, this can't be. This is not God's character. He wouldn't do this. And yet the command was clear. Abraham was given this promise of this mighty nation coming through him, and his one son he was commanded to bring up and sacrifice in the mountain. So he set out with Isaac and brought with him these servants. And they went up on the mountain. And there they parted ways with the servants. And they said, uh, Abraham said to the servants, You wait here, we'll be back. Which says a statement of faith that God will provide. And they went up on the mountain. Now, with sacrifice, it's a little bit difficult for me to relate to this in many ways. Maybe you too. But with sacrifice, I, um, you know, I've got a weak stomach you know, when it comes to blood and things. And, um, you know, we've, we've got that, that state holiday coming up of, of hunting season, okay? Uh, if, if I actually ever went out hunting and shot something, I wouldn't have a clue what to do with it. Um, but, you know, Sean Jennings on staff here in our congregation, he knows a thing or two about what to do with this stuff. And as a matter of fact, he demonstrated it this last week when he, he was telling me about this, that he was driving home from work when he hit a deer, and uh, he was driving this truck that he hadn't had all that long uh, used, but uh, Abby's grandfather's truck that he had purchased, it, it had fairly low miles, nice truck and everything. Everybody's fine, truck not so fine, deer even worse. And, and there was this deer, so the deer was hit and laying by the side of the road. So Sean got out, got a knife, went over and dressed the deer right there, threw it in the back of the truck. Only in Michigan, I tell you. <laughs> brought it home. <laughs> And I know nothing about this. I mean, why does a person have to dress a deer? Was it naked? I mean, I don't understand this. So he brought this thing home. So ever since then, now Sean is known as Sean Roadkill Jennings. Uh, that's, that's the way it is. And the priests in that day, now I don't, I don't think I'd be a good priest in that day, but, but the priests in that day, this was commonplace. This is what, what they would do, you know? And, and uh, the, you know, it was a, a, a culture of animal husbandry, and, and they would have all these animals, and the animals existed to be able to serve people, and, and they used them in the sacrifice and all this kind of stuff. So when they went up on the mountain, Abraham and Isaac, there was no animal. There was only Isaac. And Abraham took Isaac, laid him on the altar like he would an animal. And he raised the knife. And God spoke and said, Do not harm that child. 
Now, as, as we look at this story, you know, we, we, can, we can be maybe shocked and offended by what's taking place. But today, people still sacrifice their children to the gods of this world. You know, they might sacrifice it to the God of self-centeredness, the God of mixed-up values, the God of vicariously living through my kid, the God of, hey, I want to be a cool parent, the God of, you know, fill in the blanks. There's all kinds of gods of this world, and the kids get sacrificed to those gods. And God says, you are not to do that. Instead, bring them to me. And God stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son. And there in the thicket, in the bushes, that means. It's, that's, that's Bible talk for bushes, okay? There in the bushes was a ram caught in the bushes. So Abraham took the, the ram and took his son down off of the altar, laid the ram on the altar, and he raised the knife to the ram while Isaac watched. Now, normally we view this story through the, the lens of Abraham and his faithfulness, but, but imagine being Isaac for just a minute, okay? You're looking on, and, and there what you're seeing is this, that that ram is sacrificed in your place. The fire licks up and consumes the ram, and the ram gets transformed into that smoke, and you smell the fragrant offering to heaven. And Isaac is looking on, and at that moment he could be driven to his knees in thanksgiving because God has provided this one in his place. You know, that, that offering that day, that fragrant offering to God that day really was the offering of mercy, not the sacrifice of a person. And that's what we call atonement, the sacrifice of atonement. When we've got a holy God who is desiring to be in relationship with sinful people, we've got a problem. Because how can people stand in this holy God's presence So God has provided the way as he did with this ram caught in the bushes and sacrificed in Isaac's place, and that's called atonement. And he looked on this thing and said, There but for God's grace go I. Because with that, the way is paved to be able to stand in God's presence. Now, in 70 A.D., there was a crisis that happened in uh, Jewish religion and the life of Israel. What happened in 70 AD was that the Romans surrounded the city of Jerusalem. There had been a rebellion against Rome, and and the Romans predictably came. They surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They conquered the city of Jerusalem, broke through its walls, burned down the city, burned down the temple, and now there was no more place to sacrifice. And the people had to ask this question, Why, God? Why did this happen? And the answer was this. Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. He is the fulfillment of all of these sacrifices. All of these practices point to him. So John the Baptist, when Jesus was being introduced to his disciples, John the Baptist looked at him and said of him to his disciples, Behold, or look, in in John chapter 1, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Jesus, God's own son, was to be the lamb sacrificed as the atonement for our sins once and for all. Therefore, a place to sacrifice these animals on an altar was no longer necessary. Jesus was that ram that was caught in the bushes that was sacrificed in Isaac's place. And the priests, the the religious leaders, they are the ones who got Jesus and captured him and figuratively speaking at least, put him on the altar of the cross where he was sacrificed and became that fragrant offering for you and for me to God so that we might look on him and say, there but for the grace of God, go I. Now in response to that, What are you going to do? God's people have always, in response to this, done this thing. They've given a sacrifice of worship. They've worshiped him. They've said, God, thank you. Praise you, God. And they give back to him in that way. And with this sacrifice of worship, what we see is that the worshiper in Israel would expect two things to happen. They were designating this to be this way. If it was a blood sacrifice, such as an animal that was being sacrificed, they were saying, this is my, like my blood. This is my life I am laying before you, God. My life is yours. And if it's what was called a cereal sacrifice, meaning um, things like wheat made into cakes that would be burned on the altar, kind of like the way I cook with the smoke alarms, you know, right there on the altar. What that was saying, what they were saying with that is, God, not only is my life yours, but all I own is yours. This is what I give back to you, God, as a sign of thanks. So for all these generations, people have responded with worship to say, thank you, God. Here is my life. I lay it before you. Here's all I own. I lay it before you. Because there, but for the grace of God, go I. So how are you going to respond? Here in worship, we include this little element that we can say, oh, that's just, you know, Part of the service, we get over that, we go on to the songs, we go on to the Scripture, we go on to the message, all these kinds of things, but we must not pass over it too quickly. Because when we have an offering here, what that is, what that represents is the opportunity for you and for me to say thank you back to God. It's in that long line of offerings, thank offerings, worship offerings that have been given by God's people to say, God, thank you. Thank you for providing that ram the Lamb of God. Now, next week, next week we have that opportunity to take those faith-giving cards, lay those on our altar, and dedicate those to, to, to God. To say with those things, God, I don't worship fate. I don't worship vengeful gods. I'm, I don't want to worship the gods of this world. Instead, God, I want to worship you. You are the one who's worthy of praise and thanks. I worship the Lord, the one who was simply given for me that I might live a life of gratitude in him. Amen.